It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July thirty first, two thousand fourteen. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you as well. Monty is behind the controls tonight. Monty, thanks for coming. Welcome back. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. We look forward to talking with you tonight as well, Monty. And we'll look forward to hearing from you on the phone at 877-381-4567. Over email, questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room uh, if you're watching us live on the program tonight. If you're not watching us live, if you're not listening to us live, you're catching us in the podcast or the recorded version, we welcome your comments at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. You can also use that email address to suggest topics for future editions of the Virtual Bible Study and, uh, well, tonight you had to come up with uh, your own topic because uh, we didn't have those suggestions. Well, we've got a, a stack we've got of a stuff, stack of them, but, uh, but we, haven't gotten, we haven't gotten enough. They weren't to, resonating. Tonight. Well, we've got enough probably, but we just haven't, we haven't assembled those into one of our smorgasbord-type uh, okay. programs. But tonight we've got a topic I think is important. But before we get to that, Jacob, a couple, a couple housekeeping notes. Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, you know, last week uh, – we were reporting on our community Bible study that we thought was very successful, uh, and we did. We do have the audio and the video of both nights of our community Bible study with Kevin Clark uh, are on our website. You can see them and hear them there. But if you would like to have a a hard copy uh, uh, of the audio, if you'd like a CD of the audio, we have a few extra copies okay. that we made up. And we can snail mail those to anybody who would send us their address and request those. So if you'd like CDs of, of the two nights of our community Bible study on homosexuality, send us your snail mail address to questions at collegeview.com. They're also on our website, you can, as you said, and they're also in our podcast feed. So if you're subscribed to the sermon podcast, so not in the virtual Bible study podcast, but in the sermon podcast feed, you'll get those uh, downloaded to your iPod or your po- uh, podcast receiver. Okay. Then the other thing. The sort of an anniversary special tonight. Tonight starts year ten of the virtual Bible study. Okay. So uh, we our first night I think was sept, uh, was July twenty fifth in oh five nineteen oh or tonight two thousand two thousand and five. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, this, nine years are in nine the books. years are in the in the books and and uh, in the archives actually. Yes, they are. And, every one. And yeah. so tonight starts year 10. So that's kind of that's kind of a milestone and we uh, we appreciate those who have been with us and continue to join with us. Uh I see some in the Thursday. chat room who would have been listening uh, to that first broadcast and way so, back when. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh and so lots some things have changed, lots stayed the same and of course what we hope is that the emphasis has always been God's word. Find yeah. out what God's word says. So uh if you if you want to look at the archives, especially under the Virtual Bible Study tab on our homepage, go to WMA, which stands for Windows Media Audio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is where all of the programs in audio are are available. Uh, we've lost some of the videos over time because of change in servers and so forth, and we don't have all of them in MP3 because we weren't doing that initially. Yeah. But we do have them all in WMA format. And it serves as a pretty good searchable database on different topics. If you're studying a topic and would like to hear a program on that, you can probably find it there because there's over 450 episodes that are recorded there. All right. So, yes, uh, check that out. And uh, you won't be able to listen to them all. I think it's a safe assumption to say if you haven't been listening for the last nine years, you won't be able to listen to all of those programs. And, uh, well, pick the one you need and the one you like. Yeah. All right. All right. So, to our topic for tonight, always remind you, get on our email update list. If you're not, send an uh, email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. Several have been doing that lately, and we're always glad to get new uh, names on our mailing list, and we'll send you our update on Thursday as to what our topic is going to be. And tonight we suggested 
that our topic is going to be about making moral choices. Of course, that's something all of us do every day, Jacob. I mean, yes. It, it, it's not like this is sort of a hypothetical thing. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Interest, interesting I'll theological keep, discussion, but I'll not very applicable. Not very applicable, yeah, you know. Right, yeah. No, this is very applicable because okay. this is something that we do every day. Uh, we have to make choices. We have to make moral choices. There's, there's obviously lots of people in our society who are making horrible ones. And the fact of the matter is all of us would have to admit from time to time we've made bad choices right. too. But the Bible tells us how to make the right ones. And okay. so we want to kind of emphasize that tonight. Making moral choices. Uh, what we're going to do initially, and these are the questions we sent out, how would you argue against people? Now, these, these are the basis upon which some people are making bad choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you answer people who say, if it feels good, it must be right? Mm-hmm. Let your conscience be your guide. Everyone else is doing it. My preacher says it's okay. It's wrong to judge others about how they live, and you can't legislate morality. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we hear those kind of statements. Those are so frequently heard that they've almost become like idioms in our society. I, yeah. I mean, you, people are spouting those phrases all the time. And I think they have been so commonly heard that our listeners were ready with uh, their responses because we got a lot of good responses. And yeah. so I, I, have, I have a feeling that they didn't have to think very long about their yeah, answers. Yeah, I think we've heard these a lot. Yeah. Now, after we've dealt with those, what we want to do is prove that Jesus has authority in matters of all matters of morality. We want to talk about how, how, how can we prove that Jesus has authority in all matters of morality and that when his inspired apostles taught, the things they taught were as authoritative as what he said on these various topics. For instance, we're going to deal with the fact we touched on this when we were discussing homosexuality. Paul is the one in the New Testament who condemned homosexuality. Jesus, the arguments made Jesus never spoke about it, which I don't think is exactly true. But Paul certainly had explicit things to say in condemnation of homosexuality. But that was just Paul. Yeah. You know, he was a homophobe. Everybody knows that. Right. And, and he, he also hated he, women. Yeah, he was. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, so you don't really have to listen to what Paul says. No, you don't. It, and we're going to deal with that argument okay. toward the end. All right. All right. Let's start Good. out with the first one. Look forward to hearing from you tonight again. Email questions at collegeview.com. James from South Africa. Responded uh, with one verse to your, if it feels good, it must be right argument. Okay, how are we going to answer the person who says, if it feels good, it must be right? James went to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, which says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Uh, so he says, you can do what you think is right, but it won't work Just out. Just because good it in the end. seems right to you doesn't mean that yeah. it is. You know, there's a couple of, if, if you took that argument, if it feels good, it must be right. To the absolute logical extreme, well, here's a serial killer, mm-hmm. and he feels good about it. He right. likes it. It makes yeah. him feel good to yeah. kill people. Right. So it must be right. Well, nobody would agree to that. Right. You know, so everybody understands that there's got to be some limit to that kind of argumentation, or else anybody could do anything they want if it if they justified it because it makes them feel good. Yeah. Now. So uh, clearly, if it comes to things like murder or rape or uh, violence, those kind of things, people will say, well, no, you can't use that. But but I tell you what they do do, Jacob, when it comes to uh, all, all kinds of uh, things involved w- with their religious activity. It makes me feel good to do this this way. Yeah. Don't, don't condemn it because... It, it feels good. It must be. Well, right. that's how people come to their their religion. They go to it looking for some type of experience, some type of feeling. And when you do that, then you can justify, as you said, anything that you want. Because as long as you get a feeling and you feel good about it, then it must be okay. Yeah. And so I think probably what we would really want to encourage people to to consider is if that is a a legitimate justification for any kind of action, your religious action, your moral choices, or anything else. You are opening the door up for anybody to do anything they want. Literally, yeah. there's no there's no stopping place if that if that reasoning is allowed. You know, the ironic thing is a lot of the religious people would see it in at matters of uh, you know, personal morality. Maybe you know they would say, well, adultery and that, that's not a good argument for adultery. Here's that's a guy. Not... Here's a guy who leaves his wife and and yeah. takes up with another yeah. woman. Yeah. But he says uh, it, it feels right. It 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 it, it 
how can this be wrong when it feels right? There was even a song. There was a along song with, that said something about that, almost exactly that yeah, same yeah, words. Right. Yeah. And and so a lot of people reason it that way. Yeah. Uh, but, but 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 my my point was a lot of religious people say, oh, that's that's wrong. But that but in their religious ser- service, they're worship to God. They're just as guilty as that because yeah. that's what they're they're doing. What feels good to them. Exactly right. Okay. Another verse from the Proverbs: He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Okay. Or Jeremiah ten twenty three. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Yeah, Chris in the UK referenced another passage from Jeremiah. Jeremiah seventeen verse nine: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So uh, he points to a passage here that says uh, that you need to be careful about trusting your heart. Ramona in Texas says uh, she references First Peter four one through six, where Peter said, "For the time already uh, is past, or the already past time is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles," and then spells out specifically what he had in mind in verses seven through eleven. Uh, he speaks of a contrasting uh, style lifestyle, the lifestyle which is our Christian duty. So she references the, those things mentioned in First Peter chapter four uh, as being those things which we wanted to do, the desire of the Gentiles, the things that felt right, and contrast that with the life that God has called us to as Christians. Randy in uh, Michigan uh, makes reference to the case of King Saul in First Samuel fifteen when he was supposed to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't. Uh, and when when they came back, they argued, well, we did this. We, we spared some of the things from the defeat of the Amalekites because we intend to make a big sacrifice yeah. to the Lord. Yeah. And it'll really make us feel good to be able to do that. Right. Uh, and, and, of course, the, they were condemned by Samuel for that kind of reasoning. Yeah. Chris in the U.K., uh, again, here's another more of his email. He says, this is either an appeal, the idea that if it feels right, good, it must be right. This is either an appeal to the emotion or a result of the presupposition of naturalism, where uh, because we are the result of chemical impulses running through our brain, a pleasurable act must be a right act. So what says to a kleptomaniac that stealing, which gives him pleasure, is wrong? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. And Chris also referenced, I don't think, did you reference Acts 26, verse 9 through 10, where Paul thought within himself that he must uh, do many yeah. things contrary we're gonna, to I Christ. think we're going to mention that more when we get to the question about conscience, because yeah. I think that's really applicable to that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, a little bit more from Randy in Michigan. He says, uh, God in his holy word has given man everything he needs to know to be a faithful, obedient child of God. Man does not need to live by his feelings. Okay. God wants us to obey him. To obey is better than sacrificing. God delights in our obedience, and if we love him, we'll obey him. Our feelings can lead us in the wrong way, to do the wrong things, to say the wrong things, but God's holy will will lead us in paths of righteousness in the way he would have us to go. I think you're exactly right, Randy. Thank you, Randy and Monty. In Hebrews 11:25, it refers to Moses as giving up the pleasures of sin in order to suffer afflictions with the people of God. The New Testament tells us that sin is a pleasurable thing. It feels good. If it didn't feel good and one didn't bring us pleasure, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't consider sinning if it didn't, if there wasn't something enjoyable about it. So to say, well, it feels good, it must be right. Well, the Bible says lots of things that feels good are sin. Self-deprivation is not too popular in our society, Monty. No. All right. In the in the chat room, Jeff suggests Proverbs three five and six, chapter three verse five and six. In Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy steps. So I think that's exactly right. We're we're admonished not to to just trust how we feel about something. Mm-hmm. And Anthony says a popular idea among atheists. I didn't know this. He says is that man actually has no free will and is just acting out impulses programmed by DNA. Didn't know that. Well, it, that'd be sort of just like uh, the animal world, you know. It'd be logical. What, what do animals yeah. do? They just follow their instincts. Right. And that's really all we're doing. If we're just an evolved animal, that's okay. really all we're doing. All right. But the scriptures certainly teach differently. All right. What about our conscience? Do you feel good about doing that before the break, or is uh, that well, going to bother our, you? Let's take our first break, right. and we'll come back and deal with this very common expression, let your conscience be your guide. All right. We'll take it on the other side, and uh, we don't want your conscience to bother you tonight, so why don't you send in your comments. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room or on the phone tonight, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. 
We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Emperors decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration, there it stands. The flames are kindled against it, there it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it, there it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment, there it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away, there it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Christ established his church to save sinners, not to serve dinners. Forbidden fruit creates many jams. Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Who are you today? You are the person you choose to be. Your very identity is defined by every choice you have ever made, but it's not over yet. Nothing is easy to the unwilling. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? That quote's from Benjamin Franklin. If you have a half a mind to turn on television, that's all you need for most of the programs. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program, talking about uh, how we make our moral decisions and uh, what are some good standards for that. We're looking at some at, bad ones here. At the, at the start here, we're dealing with faulty ideas that people use to make mm-hmm. their decisions. Mm-hmm. And the one that we want to talk about next is let your conscience be your guide. As long as you have a clear conscience, uh, then that's enough. You'll be fine. You know, just follow your conscience and... Well, that's sort of a two-edged sword because we would agree that the conscience is a valuable thing, uh, that God has given us the capacity to have a moral conscience to help us make right decisions, but it has to be properly trained and it has to be honored or else uh, it is uh, not going to be effective. Uh, I think several of our responders are going to do the same thing that I'm suggesting here by referring to Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Before he was a Christian, before his conversion, he was, of course, actively persecuting the the Christians. And yet he made reference in his later life, uh, as as he was actually on trial, he made reference to the fact that even during that time when he was persecuting Christians, that he had a clear conscience in the matter. His conscience was clear. He was killing people. He He was putting righteous people in jail, but he felt good about it. In Acts 23, verse 1, he said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. You'd have to uh, believe that he's talking about his entire life, including those times that he was persecuting Christians. In Acts 24, verse 16, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. I think that would, again, include his time as a persecutor. But the the clearest statement of all is in Acts 26, uh, verses 9 and 10, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice or my vote against them. So, you know, he said, I, it's what I thought I ought to be doing. Clear conscience. He was sleeping he, good at night. He, he didn't have any qualms of conscience yeah. while he was doing that. And so he's a classic example of someone with a clear conscience who was dead wrong. Yep. And uh, James comes to us from South Africa tonight with uh, an interesting connection, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And that's the passage where they're getting reprimanded for uh, not having growing like they should. And uh, he says uh, in verse 14, uh, solid food belongs to those who are full age, that, uh, 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 that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So James says... It's only true that you can let your conscience be your guide if it is a trained conscience uh, where you have the ability to discern good and evil, and that would be based upon God's word. So interesting uh, uh, connection there uh, from James tonight. All right. Chris in the U.K. says this would be what leads to situation ethics. As long as you are sincere in your belief that it is right in that setting, then it would be fine. He says, but think, 
because we drive on the left here in the UK, I can sincerely believe that I can do that there in the US too, but I would crash into the truth of how you all drive. And so, you know, I, I think that's an interesting point. In, in most matters, we would say, we don't, you know, your conscience, whether it's clear or not, is not the determinant. For instance, if I'm driving down the highway and I think the speed limit's 55, but it's actually 40, yep. my conscience is clear. I, yep. You know, I don't recognize that I'm violating any law, but when the police officer pulls me over and writes me a ticket, he's not going to be impressed by me saying, I thought, my conscience was clear, I thought I was doing the right thing. Yep. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All right, and uh, Ramona in Texas references Romans 14. Now, she has an interesting point. She's taking a little bit different slant on this. She references Romans 14.23, where if uh, you do anything that violates your conscience, it's a sin. So to that extent, Ramona says you should uh, let your conscience be your guide, uh, even if you're doing something that is would be right, but if it bothers your conscience, it would be wrong and sinful to, to you. So that's an interesting comment. Well, now, again, that's why I was saying earlier, this conscience question is a little bit of a two-edged sword. We have right. to understand that, uh, and, and we have to make sure that we're making proper application of conscience. Conscience is a good thing, and you've got to honor your conscience. Like Romans fourteen twenty three is saying, if you violate your conscience, uh, then you can make it ineffective. Paul warned about that in 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 2, when he mentioned some would have their conscience seared as with a hot iron. Yeah. In other words, you violate your conscience enough, finally it stops working and it's not effective to, 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 as a guide to help you. It is a guide to help you, but it has to be properly trained and it has to be properly honored. Yep. If it hasn't been educated in the truth of God, then it's not going to lead you in the right way. Romans chapter, or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19 talks about some people who are being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. And so there is that uh, that point you can get to, Monty, where you are past feeling and, and, and nothing bothers you at night. You know, if, if you've been taught that... The truth of God is a lie or whatever, and, you know, you've been taught some false teaching. It might be, violate your conscience to do what we understand the truth of God is and that the Bible requires us to do. So my conscience can't be a guide then, and I would have to violate my conscience to be right. So that gets back to having a properly trained conscience. It's only when it's properly trained that it can be a guide. Otherwise, we have to retrain it and reteach it and learn the truth and do right. If uh, the conscience could be our guide, imagine all the uh, time and uh, money and uh, materials that have been wasted printing our Bibles because we don't need them if you can just uh, you can just follow your conscience. Uh, Randy in Michigan references some of the things we already mentioned about Paul or Saul of Tarsus, but he also mentions uh, our conscience can only guide us when it has been trained by the word of God. Jesus promised his apostles that they would be guided into all truth, John 16, 13. Peter says we have all things that, uh, uh, well, oh, he, he mentions that holy men of God were spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We are safe in letting the New Testament guide and train our conscience, for it is indeed the holy word of God. All right, and we have an interesting uh, comment from Rick in the chat room. He says the conscience never serves as a guide. It actually accuses or excuses one's actions after the act has been committed. See Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Also noted, accuses or excuses in accordance with the standard of right and wrong it has received through teaching. Interesting comments there. Well, that is interesting. Uh, It may may be semantics. uh, But, but for instance, let's say that I'm in the, the Walmart store and there's this little electronic thing. It's only about so big, you know. And I'm pretty sure I can slip it in my pocket. and I'll do it sort of inconspicuously. I don't think the surveillance cameras will see me. I'm pretty sure I can get right out the door without them ever knowing that I stole it. But my conscience plagues me before I – even in the contemplation of the act, uh, my conscience dictates to me that I can't do that. I know better. I've been trained better. I understand that stealing is a sin. So, I mean, uh, Rick, may, Rick, you may want to uh, add a comment back in there, but uh, and, and it may, I think we're probably on the same page. That it, it may just be semantical. Certainly, your conscience would uh, plague you afterwards, but I think your conscience can even serve as a deterrent factor beforehand. Or you may want to use a different word to, to define what I'm saying. Maybe it is. There. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a semantics thing as well. But yeah, uh, yeah okay. But uh, yeah, Rick is uh, right though that our conscience will. 
accuse us or excuse us after the fact for sure. Uh, and um, and so we've got to be aware of that. Thank All you, right. Rick. Let's let's move quickly. We're taking a little longer than I imagined on each of these points. Let's move a little quicker. Again, people making a lot of bad moral choices. We've talked about if it feels good, it must be right. We've talked about let your conscience be your guide. What about the idea everyone else is doing it, yeah. therefore I can do it? It's okay for me to do it because it is commonly accepted. It is, you know, in our society, everybody has considered that this is okay. Everybody does it. Well, as society becomes more and more wicked again, that almost is an open invitation to do whatever you want because there, there are somebody somewhere is doing it. If you're thinking about it, somebody's already and done it. And probably a lot of people. And are a doing lot it. of people <laughs> yeah. doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, James in South Africa goes back to Exodus 23 verse two, where the children of Israel were told, "You shall not follow a crowd to do evil." I like that one. All right. Yeah. Money. Well, if someone says everyone's doing it, that's a lie because not everyone is doing it. There's somebody standing up again and preaching against whatever sin that they're trying to condone or excuse because everyone's doing it. There's someone that's not doing it. Yeah. I know I made that same excuse to my parents when I was growing up about things that I want to do. Well, mom and daddy, everybody's doing it. And they said, no, not everybody's doing it because you're not going to. Yeah, so, I had to learn that lesson the hard way. I made that argument to my dad several times, and, and his comeback was, if everyone's doing it, that's probably a good indication that you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Uh, and so I finally learned to quit making that yeah. argument. But it's, but it's not a true statement because <laughs> not everyone is doing it. It right. doesn't matter what yeah. it is. All right. And uh, Jeff in the chat room uh, cites uh, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. There by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, but uh, because narrow is the gate... And difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So Jeff says, you know, you're going to have to be in that uh, minority if you want to be pleasing uh, to God. Exactly right. Uh, Chris in England says, uh, this is interesting. He gives us the official logical descriptive. This is argumentum ad populum. Yeah. It's a fallacious argument where you appeal to popular consensus. What if the people turn around and say it's wrong? Does that change your mind? No, it's uh, everybody's doing this. Everybody's smoking marijuana. Everybody's doing it. Therefore, it must be okay. And so I, I justify it based upon the fact that it is the popular consensus it's okay to, to smoke marijuana. What if 10 years from now there's a reversal in popular opinion? Now, it's, it may be hard to imagine that that could happen, but what if it did? And that's the argument that Chris is making. What if popular opinion shifted on that and now everybody thinks marijuana is a bad thing? Well. We've well, we've seen that occur in uh, in various things. For instance, uh, the use of tobacco. Yeah, uh, there's not many people today that are arguing uh, for that like they were 30 or 40 years ago. Popular opinions shifted. shifted. And the opposite has occurred with al- consumption of alcohol. So just just to drive the point home, if 30 years ago I was smoking because everybody was doing it and, and it was considered to be okay. Now, not nearly as many people are doing it, and it's generally considered not to be good. Mm-hmm. Would I have to give it up because because I'm basing my decision on popular opinion, and if popular opinion has shifted on me, do I have to give it up? No. Then yeah, the, the opposite is true on the consumption of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, Ten years ago, 20 years ago, you would have had a hard time finding people who would want to condone the consumption of alcohol, maybe just a little uh, wine with their dinner. Uh, but the societal views uh, uh, have changed on that money, and now it's much more socially accepted. You know, we're getting farther and far away from the days of the Prohibition when most people thought it was uh, not a good idea. And now Christians are getting swept along with that idea that everybody's doing it. Well, another uh, application of that is clothing styles change. Uh, there's certain there's been times in the past when the miniskirt was a really popular thing and we had to preach against it. Well, now I don't notice that being as big a deal is but others because that style has kind of passed out of favor so if it was okay 20 or 30 years ago because everybody was doing it well now it's that's not what they're doing so those things have changed but, but that, that still doesn't just but, but it. yeah but when it comes back it'll still be wrong we'll and it will come, it it'll come back yeah it'll come in and it'll probably indication but all this already. just shows the folly of uh you letting other people be our our moral compass and uh, following them rather than the bible yeah okay. uh ramona's says, well, we decided to follow Jesus instead of everybody else. Ephesians 4, 17, 18, a pretty good answer. Yeah. You know, everybody's doing it. Well, we're not following everybody. We're following Jesus. There you go. Good a, job. A good answer, I think. 
All right. And uh, in the chat room, uh, D. Roy references Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So uh, we can't allow the world to be our standard. Thank you, D. Roy, for that. Yeah. Uh, he, oh, said, this is, oh, okay. he or she says, verse of all verses to remember is Romans 12, verse 2. And that certainly think, is a good I, one. I think that's right. And, yeah. and, and Randy in Michigan, I like this one because I've heard this. I heard this myself. I will simply say this. As many parents have told the children who said everybody else is doing it, their answer was something like this. If everybody was jumping off the bridge to their death, would you do the same? You know, and that I, I don't I wonder I how think, many yeah, millions think, of times parents would say well, if everybody was, you know, uh, I, I think that's in the Parenting 101 manual. Yeah, there must be somebody. <laughs> Dr. Spock must have said that or something because right. our parents always use it. It's, it's the right answer. It is. It's the right All answer. Right. Okay. All right. We, where are we, oh, we're up to uh, break time. Let's take that break. When we come back, let's talk about my preacher says it's okay. Oh, boy. Oh, you're going to get close to home here. Uh, we'll see what, he, what the preacher says about this when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this break. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. One of the most famous episodes in the Bible is that of David's sin with Bathsheba and Nathan's subsequent confrontation with the king. It has often been pointed out that David's confession stands as a model of what confession ought to be. We are awed by his simple, humble acknowledgement, quote, I have sinned against the Lord, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. The level of his remorse, so beautifully expressed in Psalm 51, is amazing. In this current me-centered and it's-not-my-fault age, there are some important lessons to learn. While many folks today would have tried hard to prove themselves the victim in this sad situation, observe David. He did not say, it's her fault. After all, Bathsheba was bathing in an open place. Surely she knew that someone might see her. Why didn't she take more precautions? Or maybe she wanted to be seen. Perhaps she hoped to entice the king. Whatever the case, she definitely carries a degree of responsibility in the matter. But David made no effort to shift the blame. He said, I have sinned. Also notice that he did not say, these are hard times. I have a very difficult job. You can't imagine the stress I'm under. All of these things would have been true, yet none of them served as a reasonable justification for what he did, and he knew it. He said, I have sinned. And then also, he didn't say, other people let me down. Why didn't they do more to help me? If they had been there for me, this wouldn't have happened. Yes, others could have stepped in to prevent the king's wicked deed. The messengers who were sent to fetch Bathsheba could have refused the king's command, probably at the risk of losing their own heads. Joab, David's army captain, definitely could have objected to the murder of Bathsheba's husband, but David knew the bottom line. He said, I have sinned. Christian, are you always trying to make excuses for your sins? Do you blame others or point to extenuating circumstances? These things never work. Try true confession instead. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight. That's an old uh, That's an old spot ad there from James Buchanan, who used to live here in Columbia, Tennessee, but now is preaching in South Africa. He's sent us an email. He's participating by email tonight. James, thanks for Doing listening. Doing some good work He goes there. way back. He was back with us in the very... First days of the virtual Bible study. Yeah, lots has changed since then. He's doing a good job down in South Africa, and we're glad to hear from him tonight. Uh, And we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We want to invite you to check out our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com, where you can find, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, nine years' worth of the virtual Bible study and archives there, as well as uh, uh, information on how you can podcast sermons that have been recently presented to the church here as well as those links to the audio and video of our recent community Bible study on homosexuality. If you've not checked those out yet, you've got to do that. Check it out at our website. I've already got one request for the CDs uh, since we've been on the air. uh, And remind you, you can listen to the audio on the website, but if you'd like a hard copy CD, send us your snail mail address and we'll get one out. You don't have to be caller number five. You can just be caller number one and get those CDs. Any caller will do. Any Any caller will get them tonight. Uh, That's right. Uh, So let us know if you need those CDs or check them out. Or you can download them at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right. We're talking about making right moral choices, and we're still dealing with some of the faulty bases by which people make these choices. Uh, and we want to go to one that we often hear, and that is my preacher says it's okay. Mm-hmm. Monty, uh, 
that's pretty shaky when you realize that if if you wanted to get somebody to approve what you're doing, you could find a preacher somewhere who would do it. Yeah, you could. What, what comes to my mind when I think of that is an example in the Old Testament where a prophet was sent up to prophesy and told, don't stay there and come back a different way. Don't eat or drink while you're there. you got to go and come back. Well, he was doing that, and he was on his way back, and this other prophet that was there, this older prophet, stopped, went and got him and said, it's okay, come back to my house. God told me so. God told me so. And so we know that that younger prophet wound up being killed because of his sin of not doing what God told him to. But this preacher told him it was okay. Yeah. Well, just because a preacher said it doesn't mean it's right. We've got to go by what does the Bible yeah. say. Yeah. That's a famous That's a yeah. famous episode. So James had referenced that as well. That's a good connection there. But you, you would, you would, and in fact, I mean, especially if he's a prophet, you'd think, well, I ought to listen to that. Um, but we're even told there. Uh, uh, J.W. McGarvey, some of our listeners will recognize the name J.W. McGarvey. Years ago, I read a, a, a sermon by J.W. McGarvey on that text in 1 Kings 13. And and he called the sermon "Believing a Lie," yeah. and that's what that young prophet did. And that's what so many are doing. Their preachers are telling them lies, and they're believing them. And it's gonna it's gonna cause them to be lost if they don't. If if that is as far as much, they want to search. If all the farther you want to search is to find someone to tell you what you want to hear, and it's okay to do what you want to do, you can do that. But it's not your 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 soul's in eternal peril when you do. And a much worse fate will await you than awaited that young prophet there. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told even to test the spirits. They were told back back then because they yep. were still getting uh, there was evil spirits abounded, and that would maybe give them a false message. Or even back then, and they so told to test the spirits. Yep. So if we was told to test the spirit, it's not even remotely wrong to test the preacher. Yes, exactly. That's right. right. And well, that's along the lines of what Jeff has mentioned in the chat room. He references Galatians one. Eight nine, but if even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse. As I said before, so now I say again: if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be a curse. And so Jeff references there that even Paul said, "Don't take it uh, just because I said it. Uh, make sure that it co- uh, corresponds with the truth that's been revealed in God's word." Later on in uh, Galatians chapter two, remember verses eleven and uh, following, where Peter had uh, had played the hypocrite. And he had led other people away with him. Peter not only was a preacher, he was an apostle. And, inspired man. And inspired man. And we're told, don't do, uh, you know, he, they weren't justified in doing what his action he, was contrary yeah. to what they knew to be revealed right. truth. Right. Uh, Chris in England says, to those who say, my preacher says it's okay. So we just blindly follow what he says? Did you check that it was biblically sound rather than just good rhetoric or oratory? Uh, you know, Talking about blindly following Jesus uh, when he was condemning the religious leaders of his day, called them blind leaders of the blind, Matthew 15, verses 12 and 14. So just blindly following what your preacher says is not safe course at all. Uh, Ramona says we'll be held account to account for every idle word or, and every false assurance. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven, but that does not excuse me. Uh, if some preacher says it's okay to vainly follow man's traditions, no matter how dis- uh, pleasing they may be to God. Thank you, Ramona. One more thing from Chris in England. He references the noble Bereans in first, uh, excuse me, in Acts 17:11, and they were noble because they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were. So that's what we've got to do. We can't just say, well, the preacher says it's okay, it must be okay. And Randy in uh, Sports Creek, Michigan, referenced that same uh, passage there in Acts chapter 17. Uh, he says, Paul commended the Bereans for searching the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was the truth. Paul, an apostle of our Lord, Jesus, was inspired to write what he did. Whatever our preacher may say, we need to uh, check the scriptures to see if what he is saying is the truth. The day we stand before God, will be, we will be responsible for what we taught, for what we believed, and for what we practice, not our preacher. Again, we are responsible for what we believe, teach, and practice. No one else is. Thank you, Randy. All right. And all the three of us sitting here right here tonight have done some preaching. And none of us expect anybody to do it just because we said so. We expect him to double-check it, make sure it's what the Bible says, and then follow it because it's what God said so. Yeah, nobody wants the responsibility of of not being checked. Well, there is responsibility on teachers. I mean, teachers teachers are going to be held accountable, and so teachers better make sure they're teaching the truth. But the people who listen mm-hmm. also have to check it out. They That's can't, right. in other words, they can't, they can't pass off their accountability by saying, well, the preacher says, okay, yeah. if he's wrong, talk yeah, to him about right. it. Cause you're I'm right. just doing what he said. You're right. You can't do that either. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 
All right. Uh, we've got to go quickly here. We're going to run out of time, Jacob. We're going to move on. Moving fast. The next one is, we hear this all the time, it's wrong to judge other people about that, how they live. And the implication is you just have to let people do whatever they want to do, and you can't judge them. Uh, it's wrong to judge people. We have to accept them for who they are. Yeah, you just have to accept it. You can't say judge anything Judge not that you be not judged. John, you, uh, yeah. yeah, probably one of the very most misused verses of scriptures. Yeah. We've talked about it so many times in the virtual Bible study over nine years. Matthew 7, verse 1, mm-hmm. a horribly misused uh, verse. We, uh, and I think all of our listeners are familiar with that terrible abuse. Yep. Uh, well, let's go quickly. James in South Africa says Paul judged others on the way they lived. He references First Corinthians chapter five, one, or First Corinthians chapter five, where Paul said he had judged already about that uh, man that was involved in immorality. Okay. Um, and uh, we have Ramona. She references Romans sixteen verse seventeen. We're instructed to mark those who cause divisions and occasions of stumbling, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and turn away from them. Um, and so. She says we've got to make some judgments, but she says before we are qualified to engage in helpful judging, we must first engage in self-correction. We do not have to attain perfection before we can help others, but the nearer we are to perfection, the more like we are, likely and, we are to judge righteously, Matthew seven twenty-four. Yeah, and, and that would actually fit well with the context of Matthew 7, 1. The verses that follow said, get the spe- get the beam out of your own eye before you try to get the speck so out of your brother's eye. So that you can yeah. do that. Okay. Um and Chris in the UK. He says, are you not judging me by that statement? That's the fallacy here. When you say it's wrong for me to judge you, you're judging me. And so you're, it's a self-contradictory position. Yeah, right on. Well, I would make the argument when somebody says that, okay, I'm not judging you. But the judge, the creator of the heaven and earth, has said this is wrong. He judged it's wrong. I'm just repeating uh, what yeah. he said. Yeah. When we just, in other words, if, if we were to say, well, I don't. You know, just expressing our own opinion, our own likes or dislikes, uh, our own preferences, then that could be the kind of judging we're not authorized to do. But yeah. when when we're talking to somebody and saying the Word of God says, the, for instance, uh, our recent hot topic on homosexuality, we're not judging homosexuals when we say that that conduct is a sin. The Word of God judges that. It's God not made argument. that judgment. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Chris in the UK goes on, and he references Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Well, there's some judging involved in that. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition he received of us. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, verse 6. First Timothy 6, verse 20, O uh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So Timothy would have to make some judgments there. And so Chris has some excellent references for us. And Randy in Michigan uh, references that text, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, judge not to be not judged. And then the, on, the, the follow-up explanation of how that should be properly understood. Uh, he says, uh, we are told in verse 6, do not see... Uh, uh, his summary is God's word is a light to our path. Our judgment should be avoided, and we need to know the word of God so that we can make the, our proper judgments based on that. Yeah, not on our own judgments, but upon the word of God. Excellent. Real quick, before the break. Paul judged take... Peter and his actions in Galatians chapter 2. Right. And uh, in the point of Matthew 7 is judge rights, it's judgments. Those are from Rick tonight. Thank you, Rick. Uh, real quickly, let's take this last one, Jacob. Uh, you can't legislate morality. I'm going to tell you, that's one of the most frustrating expressions that that you hear. You, and you hear that all the time from people. You, you hear it in the media. You hear so many people say, you know, when you, when you try to talk about divorce and remarriage or when you try to talk about homosexuality or you know, same-sex marriage, you can't legislate morality. You can't have laws that tell two men they can't marry each other. You can't have laws that say, you know, whatever. But the fact of the matter is we have all kinds of laws that legislate on matters. You know, there are laws against murder. Yes, there are. That's a moral issue. You know, murdering somebody is a sin. And we've got laws that say you can't do that. Yeah. So we've legislated. We, we legislate that you can't steal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's legislating a, a, a matter of morality. Mm-hmm. So there, there are all kinds of laws on moral issues. And that's just a really phony argument, I think, to say you can't legislate morality. I'll tell you what, if you can't legislate morality, we're in huge trouble because we're going to live in an anarchist type of society. Yeah. James says, uh, you're right, I can't, uh, but God can. Good answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, in those days, there was no king in Israel, Ramona says. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. One of the most de- uh, degrading periods in Israel's history was during the judges, when, when the judges were ruling. 
It was because no uniform standard of morality was enforced. Each man set his own standard. Where there is no absolute standard, uh, there is going to be anarchy, as you said, Dad, in society both in the moral and secular realms. There must be a standard of absolutes in all areas of life. Uh, Chris in England says, so uh, for those who make this argument, you can't legislate morality. He says, so an agreed set of standards that need to be kept by society needs no legal backing. So your freedom of speech to say you can't uh, legislate morality has no standing. Uh, without law, morality becomes pointless. I think that's exactly right. All right. And Randy in Sports Creek says morality is legislated all the time. This uh, uh, is against the law to murder. It is wrong to – or there's a law against murder. To, it's wrong to commit robbery. It is wrong to commit perjury, which is lying. God's word tells us that murder is wrong. His word tells us that adultery is wrong. God's word tells us it's wrong to steal. The laws of this country will convict a person of murder when they commit murder. A person can be convicted for embezzlement, which is immoral. In this nation, things uh, uh, would uh, there and and the world the, the things of this world there are laws against and uh, they are enforced. We read this in Romans chapter thirteen verses one through five. Our government does not bear the sword in vain. You break the law, although it may be an uh, an immoral law, you will pay the price. Morality is legislated all the time. Thank you, Randy, for that. All right, we got to take our last break. When we come back from this, we're going to talk about the fact that. There actually is authority in the scriptures. Jesus has the authority to over moral issues, and his inspired apostles were authorized to teach on those things, and we must observe what they taught. All right, we'll get a break and go to the top of the hour in rapid fire right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This week's question is, how heavy was Goliath's spear? When he challenged David, how heavy was Goliath's spear? We'll give you a few moments to think about it, and we'll be right back with the answer. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In his book, Born Gay, Dr. John Tay, clinical geneticist and former head of the Division of Human Genetics at the National University of Singapore, talks about the contrast in opinion between public and the scientific community on whether gays are born this way. He noted how the public's popular belief stems from the media's play-up of early scientific studies in the 1990s on brain structures, twin studies, and the XQ28 gene. These studies have, in fact, been heavily criticized by fellow professionals to be flawed and biased. It must be noted, too, that other than the media headlines, the very same researchers of these studies have themselves confessed that they have not found anything genetic that is deterministic of the homosexual orientation. Dr. Tay gave insight to the question of whether gays are born that way and they cannot change by explaining what genes really do to us. Quote, the effects of genes on behavior are very indirect because genes make proteins, not preferences. The scientific truth is that our genes do not force us into anything. Genes are responsible for an indirect influence, but on average, they do not force people into homosexuality. The startling conclusion is that genetic factors are much less important than environmental ones in the causation of homosexuals. On this basis, the claim by homosexuals that I am born that way, so I cannot change, is simply not true, unquote. That information is via homosexuality and science. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 26, For this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one for another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. We're back with the answer. The question for this week was, How heavy was Goliath's spear when he challenged the children of Israel? The answer is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 7. It weighed 600 shekels of iron. Thank you for participating. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. I'm going right, to have yeah, to get after Jeff. Yeah. I, I don't know. How, how are anybody supposed to Take know that? Take it easy on us, Jeff. Yeah, how are we hey, supposed to know that? If you got that one right, uh, you let us know. We'll give you a free CD tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, so. thanks for the trivia yeah, question, thank you, Jeff. Jeff. Uh, we're going to go to the top of the hour. We're going to talk about how would you prove now in making moral choices, how would you prove that Jesus has authority over matters of morality? Okay. Well, I, I haven't even looked at the answers yet, Jacob, but, but I got to believe that the, that everybody's going to go to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, mm-hmm. in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power or authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Well, all authority is 
without exception. Mm-hmm. He he has authority over all things, and so Jesus himself claimed to have authority, and that authority would extend to matters of morality, matters of sexual conduct. Uh, Jesus has authority over everything. All right, he does. And uh, as you as you surmise, James has referenced Matthew twenty eight verse eighteen. Uh, he proved all that. James says through his that he proved that he had a authority through his resurrection. Uh, chapter Romans chapter one verse four. Okay. Earlier, Jesus said he proved that because when he told somebody that he'd forgiven their sins, uh, he told him he said to, pr- to prove that a son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth. Then he performed a miracle of healing on him to show that he did have that authority. So it wasn't just something he said, yeah. but he demonstrated that he did and could do that. Yep. And uh, as he re- as James referenced Romans one verse four, declared uh, to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. Let's take that second part of that question, too, Jacob. While we're there, James uh, goes on to explain that Jesus' authority extends to all matters of morality. Crucifixion of self includes matters of morality, Galatians 5, 16 and following. We are crucified with Christ when we become Christians. We crucify self. I think that's right. All right. And Ramona in Texas. Thank you, James, for that. Ramona in Texas uh, says Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He, uh, uh, and over his church and kingdom, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. That's a good uh, uh, connection as well, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Right. Uh, matters of morality that it extends to, she references Matthew 5, 22 and 28. Jesus very uh, clearly taught us that morality is a matter of intent, a matter of heart and mind. Uh, so appreciate that uh, from Ramona tonight. Um, okay. Uh, Chris uh, in England References Matthew twenty eight eighteen as we have yeah that's a well used um, one tonight John seventeen two as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him uh, John five verse twenty two for the Father judges no man but hath committed all judgment unto the Son from Chris all right Randy in Swords Creek Michigan references Matthew twenty eight eighteen again. And, uh, and when you ask, what, how do we prove that Jesus' authority extends to all matters of morality? Randy said, again, Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. As Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, Jesus uh, has all authority. This means he has authority over everything. There's nothing he does not have authority over. Appreciate you know, that. I think uh, and that just seems like such a, uh obvious point to us, and I think probably to most of our listeners, but... I really believe there's a lot of people in the world who thinks that who think that Jesus and and what he taught and so forth regulates our religious life, but it doesn't have much to do with our day to day life. You know, it pertains to what we do when we go to church on Sunday, what the preacher preaches from his sermon on Sunday. But in the reality of day to day life, that's a whole different matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we, we are instructed to to pursue the authority of God in all things. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So we have to have, he has authority and we have to pursue his authority in everything we do. That would include certainly what we do when we go to church on Sunday, but it includes everything we do every minute of every day of our life. All right. That's exactly right. Now, the last one you had, the question you asked, how do you prove that Jesus' authority uh, that it, that it extends to what the apostles taught, and what they taught is equally authoritative as yeah. what Jesus said. Now, this is you know, I don't, again, maybe a few years ago you wouldn't have had to talk about this, but it seems to be more and more people are challenging this idea. I think that's right, and and well, I've always heard some people say that, or sort of make the implication at least that uh, you got to prove what you're proving from the red letters in your Bible. You uh-huh. know, it has to be in the words of Jesus. Right. right. Some people have always, I mean, I, I can remember years and years ago that some people always felt like the red letters, you know, and I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, you know, that Bibles have been, some Bibles have been printed with the words of Jesus in red, right. that they, words actually spoken from his mouth. Right. And the idea is that those carry more force than something else that you might read in your New Testament. And we deny that. We right. In fact, uh, you notice the, the Bible I'm reading from, I think the one you're reading from, don't don't have those red letters. I think that's an, an artificial and potentially hurtful distinction to make, uh, the so-called red letter editions. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 37, 
Paul said, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So Paul said, it's not, it's not me, it's not what I think. What I'm saying comes as the commandment of the Lord. By inspiration, he was speaking the word of the Lord. That's right, uh, absolutely, um, and we've got to understand that. And so the, as a result, if he's speaking the word of the Lord, it has then as much weight as what Jesus taught. You know, but, but here's, as we suggested earlier, here's the way that some people want to come at this. Paul was Paul, was Paul you know. You've got, to, you've got to take into account that Paul had his prejudices and his, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of his predetermined opinions of things. And, and so when Paul taught, even right there in that context in 1 Corinthians 14, that let your women, verse 34, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Well, Paul hated women. Paul was a, he was a chauvinist. He, he just had a bad idea about keeping women in subservient roles in society. And you, just, you can just ignore that. Now, if Jesus said that we'd listen to it, but not Paul. You can just ignore that. Yeah. And and it is, as we said earlier, Paul is the one who had the most to say in the New Testament about homosexuality. Uh, you know, when we argue from the New Testament that homosexuality is a sin, we're quoting the Apostle Paul. But that's just Paul. Paul was a homophobe, uh, you know, and, and so just ignore that. That well, money? The Apostle Peter said Paul's writings were scripture. Right, he did. So if Peter, who was an inspired man and nobody denies that, said Paul is also and that his writings were scripture, then and all scripture comes from God, then what Paul said was from God. It wasn't just from him. Yeah. Yeah, this is what you're referencing there, Monty, is Second Peter three, verse fifteen. Our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, hath written unto you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and un stable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction so the way peter expressed that was they'll twist the things paul said they they do that to the other scriptures too and so he's clearly acknowledging paul's writings as inspired scripture all right james in south africa referenced first corinthians fourteen thirty-seven as you did but he also asks, adds uh, matthew 18 verse 18 the apostles bound the things that had been bound in heaven uh, in that familiar passage That's there in Matthew right. 18. Thank you, James. Yeah. Um, let's see. We don't have anything that on that From one. Chris in the U.K., Second uh, Peter 1, verse uh, 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so that happened in the Old Testament. We believe it happened in, in the New Testament era as well. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus uh, told them, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jesus said that they were going to receive the Holy Ghost. And notice what he said in, in John chapter 14, verse 26, as Chris has referenced here. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring you into remembrance uh, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Comforter was going to... Uh, going to teach them all things, and uh, and Jesus promised that, and said that the, that the, they needed to then teach uh, what uh, basically what Jesus had taught them through the Holy Spirit. All right, Randy in Michigan references the one we cited earlier, Second Peter three fifteen and sixteen, where Peter said Paul's writings were scripture. He also references Second Peter three one and two. Beloved, I now write this second letter to you, in which I stir up your pure mind by way of reminder to remember the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of notice this and of the commandment of the Lord and Savior by us, the apostles. So he says, remember what, what we said, what, us, what, what those of us apostles said, they are the commandments of the Lord. Yeah. So uh, I think that that's another sort of uh, verifier of the point we're making. Jesus has authority in all moral matters, and he delegated authority to his apostles by inspiration when they spoke. They spoke the commands of the Lord. All right. Well, 
we've had a good discussion on morality um, and how we make those standards. Certainly, there's a lot of flawed ideas about uh, what's right and what's wrong. And and, and, that's, and, you, and the evidence of that, Jacob, is we, we see people going in every every imaginable direction. And perfectly happy doing it. Yeah, because they think they're justified in it. Yeah. And and it, the only way we can be right is to go to the Word hey, of God. Hey, you know, those surveys that you reference all the time where people think, you know, they think they're going to go to heaven, large majority of them. That's yeah. evidence of the fact that uh, people are making the wrong decision or using the wrong uh, guide and standard for their decision. Exactly right. All right. Good discussion tonight. Monty, thank you for being back and behind the controls tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Enjoyed your comments, and, uh, Dad, thank you. Thanks, Jake. And thank you for joining us on the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.